Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, a show about the critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me is Cameron. I'm stuck at home. Ah, I finally understand. <laughs> now you're stuck at home. I was free before, but now I'm stuck at home. Eat meat and candy. Nom, 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 nom. I'm spoiled. <laughs> I'm, I'm a spoiled little boy. Nom, 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 nom. Uh, this is the beginning of episode 10 with Partisode 10-1. Hooray! We did it. It took a long time, I'll tell you that. It took nearly two months. Yeah. Yeah. For us. For us. Wait, two months since what? We haven't recorded in two months. I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm, oh. I'm trying to give you some on-ramp here. I wasn't sure... <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that. <clears throat> the show, it's been going for more than two months. Yeah, uh, that's true. And there's two months of stuff to talk about. No, not really. There's actually a, not a lot of stuff to talk about for those two months. I don't know. Uh, I can jump right into the summary and like contextualize all the blathering that we're doing, unless you had something that you wanted to say about this chunk of reading up top. I do see in the notes you got the word uh, horse master in here. Uh-huh. I think we might be talking about some sort of game of horse mastery. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like that. I didn't know that was coming, but um, I'm excited about that. I love when a horse master... And also, you forgot again Yes. to talk about the thing that's at the beginning of the notes for the last part of so. I know, I know. Luckily, horse master is going to give me uh, an opportunity to actually talk about that because it uh, encapsulates relevant things <laughs> great good stuff uh-huh tell me what <laughs> happened all right <clears throat> on june 12th 2013 two months after the previous update caliborn assumes control of the narrative and welcomes us to act six act six which he has titled homo suck he forces us to listen to a long and annoying remix of Homestuck's main theme, which I have mercifully declined to mimic in the introductory music for this internet radio program because it would be a grave disservice to our composer whose music, including the themes for Homestuck Made This World, you can find at tinytachyon.bandcamp.com. Anyway, in an astonishingly original move, Caliborn returns to the beginning of the comic and begins to retell the story of Homestuck. He recreates John's introduction in his distinctly weird art style, which has admittedly improved. All the while, he mercilessly mocks Homestuck, its conceptual premise, and the audience. He gloats about becoming a god tier and unlocking a multitude of special game perks that allow him to control the narrative like this, and decides to end the first act by blowing up John in the initial meteor strike. In the command station where he is working, Caliborn is distracted by a hatch that suddenly pops open, revealing an introductory book on illustration, a how-to-draw manga guide, and, quite ironically, a set of plastic horse figurines with a smug message from Andrew Hussey. Hussey has also provided an Act 6, Act 6 Homestuck expansion cartridge, promising us that there is more Homestuck proper to come if we can withstand Caliborn's petulant railing in the forthcoming Act Act Acts. Caliborn jams the cart with stardust and candy corn before plugging it in. Act 6, Act 1 ends. Act 6, Act 6, Intermission 1 begins. The Alpha Session is populated with four additional planets. 
Evil Jane and the G-Cat do some shenanigans for the Condess. Jade, who is also still evil, rides the Meteor Lab through a Skya Gate to Earth and prepares to collect the planet after the meteor impacts, but the Flash animation glitches due to Caliborn's sabotage and we're thrown to a character select screen. First, Evil Jane is visiting Jake in prison, but the scene is too glitched to read, so we have no choice but to choose the second option. On Purpo, also in prison, Jade visits Roxy and orders her to follow the Condessa's plan by using her void powers to conjure a new matriorb to restart the troll race. We are brought to a new character select screen with four choices. Dave with the mayor on Dave's planet, Carcat and Kanaya on Jade's planet, Rose and Terezi on Rose's planet, but this too is unreadable due to glitches, and lastly, John Egbert, who is unreadable because he is missing. Everyone who is not missing has amnesia and does not know where John is. On Dave's planet, John suddenly appears and explains to Dave he's bopping around the narrative untethered from any kind of causality, something beyond time travel, and says he cannot really control it before zapping away. Jade appears and tries to initiate Dave's hero quest, pointing to all the narrative evidence so far that he is the one destined to take down Lord English. Dave doesn't want to deal with it. On Jade's planet, Jade commands Karkat and Kanaya to get to work on frog duties for creating the new universe, and has evil Jane kill and then revive Karkat using her life powers, meaning they will not work on him a second time. On Rose's planet, Rose and Terezi both have hangovers. Glitch artifacts crowd the screen, but John happens through and his wind powers blow them away. John explains that when everyone arrived at the end of Act 6, Intermission 5, they began to form a plan, but he had to flee once Evil Jade started chasing him. Then everything got glitchy and people got amnesia. Cue Evil Jade, who shows up and chases him away. Meanwhile, Dirk tries to return to the session, talking with Arqueous Sprite, who is unhelpful and also glitched. We return once again to the character select screen, which the narrator observes is still broken. We can only select the Jade and Dave conversation again, where Jade now tries to coerce him into a practice sword fight. Above them, John appears unseen. Then a second John zaps into the frame and pushes him out of the panel through the banner of the website. Below, Jade tries to kill the mayor to antagonize Dave, but Dave saves him. On Jade's planet, Jane talks up her new existence as a being of pure reason and logic and her role as the ultimate businesswoman, selling Kanaya vials of troll blood. Once again, we are shunted back to the broken character select screen. For the third time, we revisit Dave and Jade on Dave's planet. Now, they both notice when John appears above them and the scene is entirely derailed. On Rose's planet, Rose reflects on the personalized quest she abandoned in favor of a different personal narrative, and Terezi, tired of feeling helpless, goes out clown hunting. Once more, back at the broken select screen, we return to the Jade and Dave confrontation. This time, when John appears overhead, a second John, once again, as we saw the first time, appears beside him. The second John pushes the first John out of the panel, and the two engage in an intense stare-down, which the MSPA reader imagines ending in a tender makeout session. Instead, the second John tells the first to go find Roxy. The first John zaps away, whooshing through the scene with Jane speaking to Jake in prison that was too glitched to read earlier. John's passage clears away the artifacts, and Jane explains her plans to make Jake her baby-making paramour in her royal business empire.
Meanwhile, John drifts into Roxy's cell, where he is immediately distracted by his friend's hot mom. She guesses who he is and asks for his account of events thus far, which he delivers while she evaluates how mackable Egbert is. Ultimately, she decides that he's pretty mackable? John advises her to practice her void powers, and once she has the matriorb, to find a better use for it than what the Condes demands. Roxy explains the situation with Calliope, and John realizes Callie is a much better candidate for the Ring of Life than Vriska. John returns to the battleship where he was sleeping, but finds that the ring has gone missing. The shock sends him zapping out of the panel once more, Caliborn resumes control of the narration and assures us that it really doesn't matter as Act 6, Act 6, Intermission 1 ends. Boom. Boom. So uh, how many thousands of pages do we have left? Uh, at this point, as of this reading, yeah. Ooh, 1,500. That's not that many. Nope, it's not. Not a lot at all. The Wizard's Quarter. <laughs> it is the Wizard's Quarter. Uh, so yeah, last time I forgot to mention at the end, but it's fine because I can talk about it here, that uh, at the moment that Caliborn, like, you know, we get that last image of Caliborn between uh, the, the previous intermission and the beginning of Act mm -hmm. 6, Act 6. He's heeing and hawing. Yeah, Caliborn's like laughing maniacally with like uh, uh, images of Hussey's face behind him and there's like an X through Hussey's face. Um... That was where we left off for two months. This was an event known as uh, the Year 4 Megapause. Uh, and in a uh, write-up on the website, like a news write-up, uh, Hussey said, <clears throat> Too long didn't read. Act 6, Act 6 is next. This is Homestuck's final push. But before I start on it, I'll be making a very significant hiatus to work, or I'll be taking a very significant hiatus to work on the game. Um, so Hussey takes off then ultimately two months uh, to work on the game, but also, and this is really important and maybe why this is actually better to talk about here, um, to write Homestuck. So for the first time, you've asked about this multiple points, um, and you know, is Hussey like trying to work out a buffer? Uh, Hussey, is Hussey writing ahead? Hussey has always said that that was not the case, that everything was kind of uh, done and posted uh, like off the cuff or as soon as it, as it could be. This then is the first time uh, where Homestuck is being written in advance and then posted uh, kind of in chunks. Now, the initial plan um, really was, let me see if I'm getting this right. Yeah, so the it is not said that like the the next chunk is going to complete Homestuck, uh, but this is kind of the, the idea behind the news post, right? I can take some time, I can work on the game, I don't know how long it's going to be, but I'll also be able to, you know, make a bunch of Homestuck in advance, and then we can kind of post it and uh, move through this, like, more quickly. And it happens that two months later, this is when it restarts, and, you know, spoilers, this comic does not end until 2016. We've got more pauses coming up. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the news post, you know, touching on something I said a couple uh, partisodes ago, Hussey does say it turns out that making a game is a lot of work. Uh, lo and behold, mm -hmm. that is true. Yeah. And I believe it only got harder <laughs> based on what I know about the project. Yeah. I don't, I don't know a lot about it, and we're probably not going to get into it here, mm -hmm. ultimately, right? Like on the show. No, a little, no. little beside the point. Yeah, a little bit. Um. But that's uh, 
like that. That's kind of how that happens. And so, like, you know, people are, are wondering, like, what's going to happen? Like, because we know we, we've left off on this note with Caliborn. What's going to happen? And then we get this. Yeah. Uh, no delightful speaker crab in this one. I forgot to mention the speaker crab, oh. but I like the speaker crab. Uh-huh. Yeah, Carcat. None of that here. Crab. Yeah. Yeah, Carcat, it bites people. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, this... Oh, my God. I It literally gets you stuck on this page. It will not let you... Even in the archival reader, after you've done it one time, you have to jump past it. Yes, Caliborn uh, seizing control of the narrative is, like, again, intentionally, like, irritating. If you try to skip through his little intro movie... Uh, right. it will not let you. It says, please wait until performance is over. And then if you sit through the whole thing, he like, it's just, uh, uh, all you see is like a Casio keyboard. Um, and he plays the little song and it's like got all these annoying sound effects in it. And at the very end, he like plays an applause track. And if you try to skip then, he also says, hold for applause. Uh, here's a little trick around this between, uh, skilled computer users such as you and I. If you go up to the uh, top where there's that little bar, you can just put in page 6244 and skip that page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I ended up doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, But uh, doing it the first time is important. Um, This is great. (laughs) Okay. In terms of like a thing to do, uh, this is one of, I think, maybe the first reader. This whole thing, Mm -hmm. Caliborn's Homestuck, is... Very rude. Uh-huh. But very funny. <laughs> I, I, the, him, because it's not just, I think you're underselling what's happening with the Casio keyboard. Uh-huh. He plays the demo. Yeah. And only plays sound effects over it. It's not like there's sound effects in it. He's, it's like a child. Uh-huh. Honk, honk, beep, beep, <laughs> Like, it's just like the worst dog barking sounds, person screaming, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> It's just going constantly, and it keeps going forever. It it is annoying and uh, goofy in a perfect way. Mm-hmm. I enamored of it. <laughs> I love it. Yep. And then uh, Caliborn's rewriting of Homestuck is also really funny. Yeah, because it's right. <laughs> A young male homo sapien is trapped in his room. The premise is uninteresting, and everything about it sucks. Hence the title, which is a portmanteau, consisting of two thematically appropriate words. The male is not very smart. There is something about a human birthday, and he doesn't have a name yet, and more stupid things along those lines. All of this is irrelevant. (laughs) All of this is irrelevant. Truly. (laughs) I wish I'd start saying that at the beginning. All of this is irrelevant. Unfortunately, it took 3,000 pages for me to learn that all of this is irrelevant. (laughs) Uh, the, uh, I will say that, right, so, like, the joke here, homo suck, right, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's a portmanteau mm-hmm. of homo sapien, mm. and it sucks, mm-hmm. but, uh, we know what the joke is here, right? Yes. Let me tell you what sucks, this joke. Mm-hmm. It's 2013, Andrew Hussey. What the fuck? So what are you doing? This is uh, quite literally just a thing that is being said on Tumblr. Like, the, do you remember those live what? bloggers that I... Do you remember those live <laughs> bloggers that I talked yeah. about? I, I've heard of a live blogger. Yeah, and those, yeah. Uh, the, the particularly the uh, hostile ones, like, this is a joke that, like, Homestuck aunties, uh, to, to, you know, port some terminology back into time a little bit. Um, right. 
like this is a thing that's being said constantly right like from this part so this is again caliborn taking on like he mm-hmm. the other thing that you need literally to, yes literally taking on right the the mantle of the live blogger uh the other thing you need to know about live bloggers uh is that when they were going through they would very often like take the panels out of the comic and then like post them and then like have their write-ups below it. Right. So this bit where, uh, so after that sort of introduction of like Caliborn's John and he says, this is all irrelevant. Here's what really matters. A young male cherub has achieved total domination over his quest, thus unlocking his magic mystery planet and therefore gaining supreme mastery over all events in reality, canonical or otherwise. He became a he became a god tier obviously. It was easy, involving a trivial act of self-suicide. It was not a very big deal at all. That's what happens when you're the best. You become the best thing quite casually and off-screen, like it's not even that important. Um and the- this is the best art in the entire <laughs> comic yeah so the image here is like it starts with caliborn's version of uh the uh, the first panel of homestuck john standing in his room um and caliborn has and this is a thing that we didn't really touch on in previous partisodes caliborn has figured out how to draw in like the most circuitous and uh literally roundabout way possible he just draws at right angles like over and over and over again until he produces a shape uh, the first time he talks about doing this is like when he figures out how to make a circle. He just makes a bunch of uh, right angles like relative to one another until it works back around to the beginning. Um, and he has now done that in uh, like a, a broader form. He is now doing representational art and it's all kind of like weird and wiggly and in uh, off kilter. Um, it's very similar to what it looks like if you're trying to draw something in MS Paint. And this is where uh, it's maybe worth thinking about that the 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 right angle trick that Caliborn figures out. That's how that's how computers make circles, right? If you're using a drawing <gasps> program. Oh, my God. So wh- whatever we're going to do with Caliborn going forward, that's something also to think about. Uh, in addition to uh, kind of these weird questions of like his you know, body mind or sort of like his his ability or disability. Um, one of the things that's happening here uh, to some degree and like Hussey has a degree in computer science and works extensively with Photoshop. So I hardly doubt that this is accidental, um, but Caliborn has like a computational mind. Right. Or like he he is some, something about his uh uh, his his relationship to the world is computational or like he thinks like a computer or he looks or, or draws like a computer. There's something going on mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Well, he draws this great little self-portrait mm-hmm. of Caliborn problem sleuthified. Yes. Uh, standing in front of his terminal where he has the panel, like the, the crappy panel of John and Caliborn's in like his little God tier outfit and his uh, uh, leg has been replaced with a golden leg and he's got a golden tooth. Uh, it's wonderful. He's good. Yeah, he's a little guy. <laughs> why? 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 Why so much animus? Tori? He's born this way. <laughs> he's born evil. He can't do nothing about it. Right. <laughs> Uh, and he talks a bunch about, you know, all of the, the game perks that he got, like he got all of the merit badges. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's one that lets you have non-awkward personal interactions, uh, which is irrelevant to him because he has no one to have personal interactions with. But then he gets a skeleton key. Uh, and he Who gave him this? Why would anyone give Caliborn this? The game gave it to him. It shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Don't. 
Having this badge meant that he could automatically unlock any lock he wanted to, including all the contraptions all the contraptions on this planet, allowing him to officially and permanently assume control of a property of his experiential continuum, which I have reason to believe is called the narrative. Uh, and due to his unquestioned supremacy over a lot of things, he is now able to commandeer this enigmatic medium while totally unimpeded by the ghostly voice of a sarcastic douche. Let me uh, let me tell you this. It's interesting that a key gives you control of the narrative. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if this whole narrative is contained within some sort of box. Hmm. Some sort of puzzle box. Boom, boom, boom. Anyway, I wouldn't know about that. Yeah. Uh, then he explains, you know, now, now I have taken over this quote unquote story and I will now retell it according to my understanding and level of interest. I will additionally provide an honest and brutal critique of the events and the way they have been shown by utilizing the most potent weapon anyone could ever hope to allocate to a specibus. It is the weapon of satire. Oh, my God. This is going to be so great. Has anyone ever done anything like this before? <laughs> Um, which is just so wonderful. A because, weird little guy. Right? <laughs> just an odd little fella. It's, I, I love that, like, you know, the meta joke there, it being like, you know, obviously there's, there are rage bloggers who this is their entire thing. And so he's just like, you know, he is the, the embodiment of the, the worst reader or whatever, but also he's just ripping them off, but also convinced of his originality. Um, well, and now he's like a creator, uh, you know, uh, insert character too, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Especially this not uh, a couple panels forward in sixty two fifty two, uh, where uh, the 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 you male fucks around a lot like this, bouncing around and jittering, wasting time. But the secret is that it's actually me fucking around. I move the sky around like a puppet with my imaginary hand. See? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even before that, right? Uh, you fuck around heartily. Again, by you, I mean him. I know it is counterintuitive, but I will keep saying he's you because of my artistic license, right? Like, just a, a total no-sell on, like, the basic conceit of Homestuck, which is that it's all, all written in the second person. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I mean, we get a lot of this. Yes, we're go we're 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 in this for way longer. It's only like thirty panels or something, but it's longer than you would think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it. it we get Cherub Shakespeare. We get the quote from him. Yeah. Uh. Well, we have. It just like runs through all of these things about the story, right? Uh. Sort of poking fun at uh the early reader command stuff, right? Problem sleuth and the mm -hmm. stuff that came even before problem sleuth, because the commands all have kind of this, you know, form. It's like mail, go over there. Uh. Oh. Okay. You go over there. You stand there and nothing happens. God damn, I am good at this. Mail, do a dance on the shape. Uh, you get on the shape and I make you do a dance. I use the principle of animation to put movements in motion, somehow. You notice by now my storytelling genius. I drew my puppet and I drew his room and that's it. Now all I have to do is move him around the room and make him do meaningless things for laughs. But the really funny thing is, the laughter is mostly coming from me. It is happening at your expense. This way, I can make so many of these story rectangles so fast, so it seems to everyone who is stupid enough to look at my rectangles in the first place that so much is happening, and the plot is advancing at breakneck speed. This is just a clever trick, though, because the truth is, there is no plot. Nothing is actually happening. Just a lot of bullshit like this, with cakes and cards flying every which way, and you are just sitting there, frowning at it. Like, <laughs> right at it. Right? Uh, like just, uh, uh, 
the most like vituperative, like misanthropic understanding of, of what happens uh, in kind of the reader command format. Uh, you know, the 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 indulgence that uh, Caliborn talks about, right? Like you think that you're controlling him, but really it's just me telling myself what to do with my puppet and then doing it. Which is something we've talked about before about like how uh, Hussey has said after a certain point uh, when there were enough reader commands, mm -hmm. uh, it didn't make sense because mm -hmm. there were enough people giving input that uh, Hussey could always find whatever they wanted uh, anyway, regardless. They didn't have to do any kind of the workarounds to it. Mm -hmm. Well, here's something uh, that kind of goes into what we were talking about in the last part episode, and we don't have to like come to a conclusion about it, but it is something interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, you read extensively in that last part episode from the commentary, the book commentary, mm -hmm. and we were yet again for like the eighth time talking about Andrew Hussey's very particular theory of narratology, mm -hmm. right? Like is its own little universe of stuff. And uh, Caliborn, Caliborn's theory of narratology as explained, right? Mm -hmm. Is ultimately I make the, I make the Lego racers go, right? Yes. Like I, I pick up the little dudes and make them go and they do whatever, whatever they, that I say, and then you deal with it, mm -hmm. which is ultimately my position on narrative. Yes. Right. Like, I think Caliborn's correct, but Hussey is making fun of Caliborn and bad readers mm -hmm. by essentially putting my words into Caliborn's mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, historically, that being the case, I think I'm the Caliborn. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh oh, uh oh. I mean, it's just that yeah, we don't really have to. I don't know if there's anywhere to go with that necessarily from this part of episode, but that's a, I I do want to plant a flag here to say this is occurring, mm -hmm. like. The the, uh, the theory of narrative that I would say is like most, maybe not most common, but certainly uh, has a presence mm -hmm. in the world um, is actively being like made fun of mm -hmm. here. Yes. And I think it's notable. I, I think so, too. I mean, you know, uh, going back to the beginning of Homestuck and trying to retell the story from the beginning also, right? Like, has anyone ever thought of this before? My God, I'm a genius. Uh, so this is like, again, why I think Homestuck is so fascinating because it is uh, constantly sort of like casting these nets for response. Um, you can also think here of in the previous part episode, I mentioned this in the summary, but we didn't get into it in discussion, uh, Aradia saying like John is talking to her and he's like, Hey, uh, What's up with you? You you seem a little odd. And she's just like, oh, I'm just I, you know, live in four dimensions like death isn't a big deal to me. Uh, I'm just here to like see what happens when all this shit breaks apart. And she gives like this like really like a uh, big, broad smile. Um, And like at that moment, people in the readership realize like, oh, this is how I feel <laughs> about reading this comic now. I'm just kind of here to watch this stuff break apart. Uh, So here we have that like focalized in on Caliborn, uh, we can do with that what we will. The other thing then is that uh, on page 6261, this is again in Caliborn's little thing, uh, we get this panel of John sitting outside his house with like a toilet and there's like a cake in the toilet and some cards <laughs> and everything. Um, and it says underneath it, it begins to dawn on you that everything you just did may have been a colossal waste of time. It also begins to dawn on you that I was the one all along who illustrated this fantastic cartoon rectangle, which you remember that you saw somewhere before. And now you find this revelation to be almost as retroactively plausible as it is mind blowing. 
Um, and that's when he quotes Cherub Shakespeare, right? Uh, which is actually a Dave quote. <laughs> um, uh, the I guess I gotta say it. Well, shit, that's a hell of a mystery. No one thought it was a mystery and didn't even really need solving. But damn, if it didn't just get solved. So nice work. Um, Great. So this image, this version of uh, John and everything, when we first saw this, it was in the Midnight Crew intermission when Spade right. Slick was on his laptop and someone told him to go to um, the MSPA website. Right. Right. And the first time we saw Spade Slick was when we were with John the first time and some someone told him to go to the MSPA website and he saw the Midnight Crew adventure. So let's talk about levels of emanation, right? We have a uh, narrative where John is. Within that narrative, uh, MSPA is running. It is running a Midnight Crew adventure in a like parallel universe. The Midnight Crew adventure is real, right? It is actually happening. And then within mm -hmm. that universe, uh, when you go to the MSPA website, there is another version of Homestuck that is like degraded, right? Uh, to call back to some of the language used um, around Gamzee in the previous part episode, right? Defiled, uh, uh, repurposed in in like a, a deficient way. And so here we see kind of like the the Gnosticism coming through, right? The idea that. Um, as you emanate downward from the one, you become trapped in the material. And so here at the bottom of these emanations, uh, we have Caliborn, the worst reader, the worst artist, but also like the worst character, right? He is a, a like uh, the little notebook we get from Hussey at the end of this segment makes that explicit that Caliborn is uh, railing against the very narrative that he inhabits, right? He, he does not uh, acknowledge his own fictionality he is like in love with uh this idea of power of being the author even though he is himself like a fictional creation almost like the uh worst song played on the ugliest guitar <laughs> why'd you bring that up i just think it's an appropriate phrase okay I know web comics too. You're not the only one who knows about web comics. Okay, Damn. I just I was wondering. I was like, I was, I was this like the Akewood interlude now, and yeah. <laughs> inside of that, inside of the degraded Homestuck, is Akewood. Mm -hmm. That robot's in there. <laughs> Vlad, his name is. Yeah, Vlad the robot. <laughs> you are so nude. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and so, like, I don't know. Do you have any other stuff to say about, like, the Caliborn thing? No, nah, I like it all. It's good. Yeah. I like when it makes fun of circumstantial simultaneity. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I reused this image. It's like dead John, I guess. Yes, it's... Uh, it's I, just squiggles. Yeah, I think it's when he tried to draw dead Jake, and he changed the color blue, <laughs> so now it's John. Right. Yeah, he says... Uh, uh, that's good. I love that he gets these how-to-draw books for children. <laughs> yes. With the giant "You're welcome" note from Hussy. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm still looking for the "You're welcome" stamp, y'all. Uh, no one has given me the the uh, Midnight Crew "You're welcome" stamp. I'm still looking for it. Mm -hmm. I'll buy it. Someone makes it. Uh, oh, what's up with the horses? We still don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, just another thing to note. The other thing that is is uh, here is Caliborn goes on to Google and steals a bunch of stock photos to <laughs> use instead of drawing new things, which is, again, like the, you know, the 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 most low God uh, mocking the most high God. Right. If we were like if, if we're on a spectrum from like Hussey to Caliborn. Right. Um, 
this is again Gnosticism, right? The 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 worst thing, the lowest thing, is like an inversion or an evil reflection of uh, the highest thing. Uh, and I mean, I think what we need to know about the horses is that it's very ironic for them to be uh, in the presence of all this stuff. I mean, that's what Caliborn tells us. Mm-hmm. That's what the narrative tells me is that horses are ironic. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I mean, they showed up at, outside Lord English's manor, right? Uh, Hussey's manor, technically, but yes. Oh, right, On the right, enchanted right, right. cliffscape. Oh, right, you're right. But we don't know what they're about, right? I'm... Just think about it. Think it over. I'm thinking. Still think it over. I think we're going to be thinking it over for a long time. All right, let's keep thinking about horses then. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's like feeling lightly horny feelings about this. About the anime, the, the manga guide woman. <laughs> yeah, about the manga cover, which is funny to me. She is partly a robot, sort of like me. Oh, she seems to be an artist too, also like me, because the image is like this like anime girl like coming out of she's being drawn, but also like coming out of the image. And she's like looking at the viewer. Did she draw herself? I don't see how that's possible, considering she is fictional as well as a girl. Some other very skilled draftsman must have drawn it, but how did he make it look like she is coming out of the paper? When I turn the book, the image stays flat and the illusion is exposed. I wonder if the sorcerer of this so called manga reveals the nature of his wizardry inside the tome. This is good. This is funny. <laughs> Caliborn's a, just a little gremlin. Right. <laughs> a hateful ass little gremlin. Let's just and I love like he is like constantly perplexed by everything, but also like both perplexed and irritated. And then like right. I, I love it like with the manga thing, like the the when he starts like despite himself getting interested in stuff. Mm-hmm. And I so in a general sense, right? I there's something we've talked about extensively here, right? Is the kind of um, tone flips back and forth, and that seems planned, but character writing is pretty inconsistent across Homestuck. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think there are very few characters who consistently have the same voice. I know that we've talked about this um, several times with several different characters. Jake and Rose were a couple that we, like, really kind of deep-dived on a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Caliborn in this is a different guy. He, he like. Yeah. The, the cleverness of the language usage here, the kind of introspectiveness, uh, he's just not what who he was, you know, whatever, uh, 200 pages or I guess 500 pages ago and also two months ago, mm-hmm. right? You know, in real real time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like softened a little. Yeah, he's softened. It, I, look, I I mean, he's a little bit of a scamp. He's hussying out a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, he's he's got a little bit. Too, he's too clever. He is, yeah. he is more clever than he used to be. Uh, he used to kind of be, you know, stolid and confused and stonish. And here he is like, I, I don't know. He's got a lighter touch, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think Caliborn 500 pages ago would have been entranced by the manga girl. You know, right. that's, that that's so far away from the initial character. And obviously characters change. Right. But like. That's a thing that, that is notable to me that like when you read it all in a whack, like the changes are pretty significant feeling. And I think the writing for this whole part is so it's pretty different. If only because like class specs are back in a big way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's uh, go ahead and get to that because we've said basically that's what we can say about Caliborn is uh, being in charge of the narrative has made him more playful. Yeah, yes. Right. Play- that's that is an exactly the correct term. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he 
preps, gets ready for Act 6, Act 6, and puts it in the computer, and it's all shitted up, Mm -hmm. and here we go. Oh, you know what? Uh, I actually have a thing to say here. 6278, the, like, uh, you know, aborted cascade again, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there was going to be a cool flash, and it didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, That's probably the best music in Homestuck so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gold Pilot, which is, uh, it was another uh, fan song. Uh, that got put onto the uh, Colors and Mayhem uh, album, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it is, it's a really good song. And then song. it turns into a Venetian Snares track at the end. Yes. <laughs> as it's glitching out. Uh, like, it's a very particular kind of maneuver there at the end. But uh, that's the first song in here where I've been like, unless I've talked about one before, but if I have been enchanted by the music in Homestuck so far, and I praised it, I'm sure I felt that at the time, but I will tell you, I don't remember anything about that. So <laughs> it obviously didn't stick. But if I have not, this is the first time that I felt strongly about the music. This is very good, and I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other interesting thing about this uh, animation, because it sets us up for stuff that's going to be happening in static images later, uh, is the way that uh, the you mentioned Cascade, right? That that uh, big reveal in Cascade where the normal size of the uh, panel like uh, goes out, right, and takes up a larger mm-hmm. space on your screen. That's happening now, but in like multi-directional ways, right? Like characters are going from like one panel up into the banner. Uh, things are like moving in between panels. And again, it, it uh, gestures toward stuff that we talked about last time where the uh, the fictional elements, right? Like the, the labels of planets uh, becoming actual objects within the story, uh, like the... the sort of frameworks of the narrative are becoming more and more a part of the narrative itself. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's right. Um, because that's just, that's just a thing. Again, if you're not reading along, you wouldn't know this. Many of the panels after this point have characters like stepping outside of the margins of the panel, right? Like as they're leaving the scene, they are instead of like disappearing under the canvas, they are stepping over the canvas, which is partly like this glitch thing, I think. And also partly something thematic here about like the ultimate breakdown of narrative. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I hate these, uh, God tier outfits from the, uh, alpha kids. Uh, I still hate them. Okay. I mean, you have more to say about it, or is it just that they're still boring? I just think they look goofy. I don't like these masks. These, like, superhero things. Mm, that, like, Roxy has. I don't has. care for it. But she's a rogue. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> Rogues wear masks, Cameron. Okay. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. And I I don't care for it still. I also don't like Evil Jade. Mm-hmm. I think, this is what's interesting to me, came in real hot on this reading because I think the Caliborn stuff is legitimately funny and also really clever. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I do think that, like, the point of Caliborn is mo- most sharply made there. Mm-hmm. Like, the bad reproduction is the best way to kind of make this claim mm-hmm. or argument about the bad fan. Uh, and also, there's a little bit of, like, fan adventures here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know where it's going to go, but you do get a sense of, like, oh, the, the sub-creation is lesser than. Yes. Uh, to put on my Christian version of the Gnostic hat, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my Tolkien style. Um, but yeah, like this, I don't know. Like, I, I think the macro, the macro plot moving along, which mm-hmm. I do enjoy, but I don't, I don't, I don't, as a character, I don't really like evil Jade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, it's just not particularly, I don't, this, this plot of like, we're going to binge 
the narrative to making a more perfect, more evil Alternia, right? That's the end goal. Yeah, that's right? the Condessa's For- basic like goal, it seems. Right. I just, uh, I think schematically, weirdly enough, I, I guess this is like good, quote unquote, good storytelling, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like uh, you got two camps of people. You got the evil people and they have their goal and you got the good people and they have their goal and they're both going for it and they're interacting with each other alongside of it, right? You know, Mm -hmm. so like it's two parallel stories that are happening along the same angle, but they're going two separate ways. The the thing that really makes it stall out for me here is that the Condessa's goal is very well drawn. Mm -hmm. Like it is one of the most well drawn and well explained goals that a character has ever had in this comic. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a clear endpoint, right? Mm-hmm. For the hero characters, right, the good characters, the not not Condes, it is very unclear what they're aiming for. And in fact, they all stand around going, I don't know what we're doing mm-hmm. <laughs> for the whole reading that we did this time, right? And so it's a, it's a little lopsided. Uh, it's good structure in the sense of, and I mean good in the sense of, like, well-trod ground. This is the way that people write big stories like this, right? You got an A plot and a B plot and they ping off one another. You know, every villain is the protagonist of their own story. You know, the the well tried and true nonsense that I don't believe in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, like, so I recognize that, like, what's happening here is, like, good by all metrics. Again, in big quotation mark, by all metrics of, like, the way that you're, you're quote unquote, supposed to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And yet it's only half of that. And so it actually doesn't work here, mm-hmm. uh, at least in the part that we read for today. Maybe as the act goes on, you know, it'll... Uh, transform but um yeah I, I don't know it's really it's weird to get the whole cast together here and then they're just like stabbing each other and <laughs> being mean mm-hmm. i do like when he saves the mayor when dave saves the mayor yeah that's great that's great he's like no and he like swoops down and pulls him out from the lava oh i love the the when he's holding the mayor and he's like <laughs> flying and the mayor like puts his arms out <laughs> <laughs> it's great yeah it's excellent yeah uh I, I will say this. I, I This is a, a shock to me, uh, and yet it is nevertheless true. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless true, whatever the word that is appropriate there is. I don't like Dirk, and I don't care about him. Mm-hmm. It, it really took me, because I, I was kind of neutral on him. You know, we've talked about here that my connection uh, to the Alpha Kids is just not the same as my connection to the original kids, and even to the trolls, right? Like, I find their... Uh, uh, their melodrama to be a little less interesting. Ultimately, you know, it's a lot of love triangle kind of stuff, and we've just had less time with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was only in this like Dirk flying around segment, I guess, uh, sixty three seventy six. This whole section mm-hmm. I, that I really, I got halfway through it, and I was like, I do not care one iota about what happens to this character. <laughs> Dirk could disappear. Literally at the end of this panel, and it, I would not have any emotions about it. Mm-hmm. Which is not the same for Jake. I actually am a little invested in, in Jake now, especially after this reading. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, Roxy, curious about her, what she's doing. But I have no curiosity about Dirk. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in Dirk. I have no interest in Dirk's relationship with his, his own created mind-brain thing that's external to him. Like nothing just mm-hmm. a stone blank wall and which is kind of surprising i didn't have any, i have no prior you know opinion one way or the other but just reading through it blow by blow not a character i have any investment in mm-hmm. yeah i will also i guess go on record as saying that i find dirk a little inert 
Yeah, I mean, we do. We literally stop to have like long, essentially internal monologues. Yeah, I, I, he for has a this long time. He has this long conversation with Arqueous Sprite, um, and like what makes the conversation worthwhile to me is just Arqueous Sprite being absolutely weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird little uh, creature. <laughs> like, Dirk, I've tried to get in touch with the others to no avail. No answer from Jake or Roxy. And Jane only responded with, cease reproduction in red letters, whatever that means. Then she blocked me. I'm afraid she might have snapped, Arqueous Sprite. Yes, isn't it great? I mean, aside from the fact that she is insane and evil. <laughs> and Dirk is like, huh? She is one of the few organic beings who will ever realize perfection. Miss Crocker is now a vessel for a cunning, malicious artificial intelligence whose neural netronics and ontology buffers and stuff like that have somehow managed to far surpass even my own. Uh, yeah, that's right. very funny. Uh, the uh, 6377, too. Is that, are you reading? Yes, the that's what I'm that reading. Yeah. Okay, okay. Like further down, uh, like, this is how I feel about every conversation, like, where Dirk is doing this thing with, like, a robot, mm -hmm. right? Um, we're continuing that conversation. Uh, Dirk, why? Arqueous Sprite. Or why what? Dirk, why do I keep going along with these ironic AI conversations? They've gotten even worse now that you're half, that you're half creepy troll. Yes. <laughs> why do we keep doing this? <laughs> it's the same internal monologue over and over again. I do like, though, uh, like the, the addition of a troll here is funny. Sir Bra, listen. Yes. <laughs> like, that's funny. <laughs> uh, but, like, just the content of the conversations, I just I got nothing. Nothing mm -hmm. for it. So, anyway, I'm just, I am noting that that feeling here. Mm -hmm. um, just got no investment here. I did like all this kind of, like, uh, glitching around stuff. I do think this is pretty cool. Yeah, this is neat. This is where we get basically, like, you know, the digital comic version of Animal Man. Oh, yeah. Right? It is that. Right? Yeah. Because we've got, uh, you know, man, maybe Animal Man should be something I swap in for a bonus episode before the end of this run. By the way, if you want to yeah, listen, do it. If listen to our bonus episodes, uh, go to patreon.com slash range touch and you can back us there and you'll get all sorts of cool bonus episodes about like the never ending story about various movies. Let me double check the schedule and see what may or may not be coming out with this one. So the last bonus episode you would have heard would have been uh, a fairly lengthy conversation between Cameron and me on fan animations. From the beginning of the comic to the present day, that was like a pretty long bonus episode. And the next bonus episode with the next part of this show uh, will be uh, Night of the Burning Pestle, a 1607 play by Francis Beaumont. That is an early example of weird reader response metafiction because it's about a, a guy who jumps up on a stage when he's watching a play and starts ordering the characters around to do different things. So that'll be a, mm -hmm. a fun conversation. Patreon.com slash range touch. Yeah, well, you know, we, we uh, I think we talked about this on the last bonus ode. Uh, there will be more bonus odes after the main series ends because mm. mm -hmm. we'll have a little bit well can't we you know we gotta look have a little drip feed keeping you behind the paywall yeah until we start the next series you know yeah actually the so animal we'll have some extra stuff the animal man run might be a good fit for that too yeah we, we want to make it worth your time and your money we even if the main show uh you know whatever this slot is in the range touch schedule even if it's got a little gap in it we'll keep bonus odes coming i promise so, yeah, the, the relevant thing here then is uh, Grant Morrison's run on Animal Man uh, very notably has a character meeting versions of himself 
uh, through weird mixtures of time travel and uh, narrative contortions. So, like, you're, you're really seeing, uh, and, like, when I say meeting himself, I mean literally going back to earlier points in the narrative and, like, reading through that run on Animal Man, there are parts in that comic where things happen that do not make sense. <laughs> like, there, there's, like, action that occurs, and you're like, wait, what? And then at the end of the comic, you find out, like, oh, from another perspective, here is what is going on. Um, mm -hmm. And so the, the stuff with John zapping around, sort of, uh, you know, becoming unstuck in the narrative um, to do a Vonnegutism, uh, like, very much seems to play into precisely that, or to play off of that, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we don't have an ad break, mm -hmm. uh, and you kind of just did one, I want to say that if you leave five stars, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I might read it on the show. Mm. And here's one in the middle of the show from Ranicula. Five stars. My favorite podcast dedicated to reading and criti critically contextualizing Michael Inda's The Never Ending Story. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yep. Very good review. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I think this is, uh, you know, it's kind of doing the same formal thing that Animal Man is doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, glitching out of bounds and doing all kinds of stuff, too. Um, you know, uh, there there are a couple big emotional arcs here. I know that I mentioned classbacks like 30 minutes ago and we never worked our way there. And uh, I'm going to continue not working our way there. <laughs> so there are two big things that happen that I think are notable melodrama wise. You know, big emotional arc wise, Terezi can see, mm -hmm. and a huge amount of dialogue is dedicated to her working through that. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what to do with that. It feels very thin to me, and uh, the emotional arc here feels kind of unearned. Um, in in what sense? What do you take the emotional arc well, to be? Well, the emotional arc is like her dealing with that, mm -hmm. right, and like. There, I think there's a part, maybe it was in the last actual reading, but there, there's this kind of thing of like, am I my disability? Mm -hmm. Like there's some of that going on here. Uh, but there's not a lot of run up to that, right? In the sense of like, there has not been a lot of focus. I mean, I think Therese is an interesting character in that uh, she's blind, but uh, that's not her character, mm -hmm. right? You know, in terms of like, uh, and I especially think of like... Uh, comic from 2013, a web comic, it would be very easy to make that her like whole deal. Right. Um, and there's all kinds of other stuff going on with it. Right. Uh, and then weirdly enough, it is in the moment of her not being blind anymore that it becomes retroactively her whole deal. Well, earlier uh, on back in act five, mm -hmm. when she was introduced, this was something that she talked a little bit about with, well, a car cat at one point, I believe, um, mm -hmm. maybe with Dave at another point where, uh, how this gets talked through is uh, she mentions that her dream self was also blind. Right. And one of the points that is made there is that like uh, your dream self sort of corresponds to like your ideal ego. Right. If uh, uh, like, for instance, Tavros, uh, when his dream self uh, does not use a wheelchair, right. He can still like walk mm -hmm. and fly around oh, and right. stuff. Mm -hmm. So, Terezi does make this, she says uh, that her blindness, which was, of course, uh, spurred on by Vriska putting her into a preemptive telepathic communion with her dragon Lucis that was unhatched. Um, uh, Terezi 
ends up appreciating the blindness because it becomes this thing for her of her like getting the connection with her Lucis, who is her dragon mom, right? And like makes her um more aware of her uh, basically, you know, her her latent psychic powers as a mind player or whatever, right? This is this is how she talked through it before. So there is something about how her blindness becomes a thing that is part of her self-image and not even a thing that she's like made peace with, but like a defining characteristic for her of who she is. Mm-hmm. Um and now here we have her moving into self-doubt and I think I semi agree with the unearned part, if only because I don't quite track the interior movements that she makes to get here. Uh, She is doubting herself and sort of like her abilities because of what she did to Vriska. Um, Right. And she thinks that like, you know, on the one hand, it seems like she had to kill Vriska for things to continue on. And also like she, she sort of is still pissed at Vriska. Vriska was kind of shitty. Uh, But she also feels conflicted over the fact that she feels this way. She, there's a part of her that still likes Vriska. Uh, And so I guess if we want to read this in kind of like uh, Lucy thematical terms, uh, the uh, like her, her blindness gets inverted, right? Like, uh, she starts thinking of her blindness as actual blindness, maybe. She thinks of herself as uh, not seeing something, and so she gives into Arania's offer to, like, heal her eyesight, right? Uh, she she changes what she thinks are kind of the core constituents of her personality, and that turns out to be a mistake. Yeah, I mean, I th- yes, I think that's right. But also is like, is that in the text, or is that what you just... You know what I mean? Exactly, right? Like, this is, like, where it's difficult. Like, like I think you can read, you can make the move filled out, mm-hmm. I guess. But it, to me, it feels like she goes from being a very three-dimensional character. You know, we've we've talked uh, quite a bit in Act 5, right, right, about, like, kind of psychological complexity. And Terezi is one of the very few that have gotten to, like, grow and be, like, a really kind of robust character. And uh, I don't know, it just seems like... At this moment, uh, the narrative has made the choice to 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 pretend as if she was always just like a one note character. I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe maybe your ability to like actually draw these things together is just uh, proving me wrong. Maybe I'm just incorrect about that. Well, I don't think it's necessarily um, proving you wrong because I think there is a there's something happening here because this is slippage. Um, this is the sort of thing that is very natural within fandom spaces in general and within the Homestuck fandom in particular, right? This is a move mm-hmm. that we've talked about before of um, uh, like filling in the gaps and then being unable to tell like where your fill in uh, stops and the actual narrative begins. And Homestuck in many ways, mm-hmm. I think, is built mm-hmm. to facilitate that kind of thing. Um and it's it's a, a a thing that is still kind of like, I don't know, sticky or tricky for me to deal with, uh, precisely because I sat through so many conversations in forums and on Tumblr where I heard people have these conversations, like try to rationalize out these movements of the plot. Um, and, you know, one of the kind of goals of this show has been uh, uh, for me has been to try to like make these distinctions clearer than the text itself does or sort of the fandom around it. Whereas, whereas the text itself almost always wants to count the fandom as part of itself rather than kind of like a distinct phenomenon. Um, and so I, I think you're maybe right in that. I, 
here's the way to put it, maybe. Terezi's turnaround comes really quick. It feels like. And, like, the fact that, like, we have, you know, mm-hmm. like, and this is another Homestuck problem, like, things that could be key scenes that would um, uh, let us in on this, where, say, maybe Terezi has a conversation with Arania where she eventually decides to have her eyes healed, right? That's a thing that we explicitly right. don't see. That's off-screened. Yeah, maybe it is the off-screenedness that that I'm really feeling here, right? Um, more than anything to do with the actual character, but like way, the way that information was actually communicated, right? And like her um, self-doubt started when she met Latula, that her ancestor, and that's a thing that never quite uh, clicked for me because I just because she feels. Um, I mean, the conversation she has with Carcat, right, is that uh, she feels like she is. Uh, basically still a a pale imitation of like Latula is cooler than her right or more confident Mm -hmm. or whatever and Karkat is like that's nonsense like you're the coolest person I know etc um and I don't understand why Terezi finds Latula that uh unsettling because Latula is like a rad skateboarder gamer girl I mean I think you just described it Uh, but Terezi like kills people (laughs) Like that's way cooler. <laughs> and is a detective. Yeah. Is, is basically uh uh, uh Two Face. Right, she's Daredevil and uh, Two Face combined. Right. Uh the I mean maybe this is like uh, this is I it's the same root as the other thing, which is like or the other thing I wanted to note here, uh Rose developing an alcohol addiction off screen mm-hmm. and like going through the entirety of like the question of addiction and sobriety through basically three conversations and 600 pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's another, you know, I, maybe unearned is not the right word for it. Right. But like there are shortcuts that are taken that we are asked to fill in ourselves and we are only given the emotional conclusion to things that do not have an arc. Mm-hmm. They just have points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess you can fill in that arc and I'm sure that people were, but it's a little just reading through it. It's a little, um, I don't know. Like, I don't, it just doesn't feel like it's coming from anywhere. Yeah. Uh, although, like, the arcs, the points themselves are high points in the sense of, like, you know, the the thing where she turns to Kanaya, I think it was in the last reading, where she turns to Kanaya and says, like, are you breaking up with me? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you can see the, like, Tumblr reaction to that, right? That is the ultimate young adult teen feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the ultimate nightmare scenario. Uh, oh my gosh, uh, my my person. Uh huh. In in the parlance of the day, right? Yeah. So we were all talking about our persons. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Back then, uh-huh. everyone was talking about their person. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking about? You dodged a bullet historically. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So yeah, the the rose thing. You, you are correct, right? Some of the fill in that happens here is like. People look at what's going on with Rose and they're like, oh, well, Roxy also had an alcohol problem. And why did Roxy have an alcohol problem? Because mom was a drunk joke or rather like, right. uh, you know, that and that's you can she was a wine mom joke. Literally. Right. Like that's you can see the cascading effect where like mom is constantly like sipping her martini or whatever. Uh, and like there's no real reason at that point in the story to take that as like her being an alcoholic because those characters are mm. so thin, they're iconographic. Um, it's just like, she, she's literally like just the mom, like vacuuming and also holding a martini. Um, right. She, she's shaped like a, like a Jetson. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like iconographic is the right word. Exactly. Right? Just like pure icon. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, so she's like uh, sort of like suave 50s housewife in this kind of weird way. 50s, re- 50s retro future housewife. Right. Um, uh, and the, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just and so like you have this kind of character. And this is the, the thing with like all of the alpha kids, right? Is you have this iconographic representation of a character who gets reformatted into a, a character who's supposed to be more three dimensional, right? A real character. And so uh, that like. You know, mom sipping her martini becomes Roxy has an alcohol issue, uh, which then loops back around to uh, Rose having an alcohol issue because of, I guess, you know, ectobiology genetics. Right. Like, I don't the fact that we have to, like, draw those connections. Right. And, and to me, it's not that. Well, I guess it bothers me. Maybe bothers is a strong word. Uh, it sticks out to me. For a few different reasons. One, Rose is one of our main characters and has gotten so much uh, attention. And to see it kind of sporadically split apart here into just the high points of like a dramatic art is just disappointing, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's so much more to her character and I, it feels like she's getting short shrift. Like I think at the end of the day, that's how I feel about it. But the thing that really gets me about it, the, it's not just like I've become an alcoholic off screen, which in and of itself is a little bit weird. Uh, my other relationships are all breaking down off screen. That's a little bit weird, but okay, whatever. The thing that really gets me is the, again, unearned, uh, for lack of a better word, culmination of the whole thing, which is like, if you see my mom tell her I was a shitty kid, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like this, like ultra teen feelings, Uh you know, like I didn't live up to the thing. It goes back to what you were saying before. Her mother was not a character. Mm -hmm. Like, Anything we know about Rose's mom is just inference in what were essentially a bunch of throwaway gags, right? About her, like, ominous mother. And we know for a fact, right? We've known since, like, Act 2 that the way the kids talked about their parents were not what their parents were really like. Mm -hmm. You know, dad is the ultimate enemy. Dad wasn't the ultimate enemy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and so, like, on one hand, I guess the most charitable read is, like, finally Rose is is saying out loud what was very clear textually for 5,000 pages ago. And ultimately it has no resonance here. Like it's not shocking to us. That's Mm -hmm. the most charitable read. The, the least charitable read is like, this is an emotional payoff that has been entirely off screened in its arcness. And we are just being given kind of the, the uh, emotive line, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to like give us some cheap thrills mm-hmm. of Rose emotional development without doing any of the work to actually make that development happen. No matter what, I think it's bad. I It's disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to be like hammering on it too much, even though I have been for like a full five <laughs> minutes, but it really sticks out to me as like, well, if, if we're gonna, if we're gonna do it, just don't do it at all. Right. Like, there are so many things that have been off-screened and are not resonant. This doesn't have to be a story arc that gets paid off. Yeah, yeah. I. It's weird. Uh, we can. We'll. We'll eventually get to uh, <laughs> class back stuff. We'll get there. Um, yeah. But the the off-screening is a thing that's happened before, but it's happened in more strategic ways, where it's been about like, oh, these two characters are dating. 
Uh, and then you can just imagine them doing their dating stuff for however long until they break up or like the trolls game. Here's like sort of some bits and pieces of when the trolls are playing the game. Uh, but you can imagine the rest, right? You know that Equius and Nepeta were hanging out. So uh, before that all ends in tragedy, uh, you know, make your little fan animation of of uh, them hanging out together. Right. Um, and that was stuff that sort of didn't matter. And here we are off screening. uh huge important parts of like what we are supposed to evidently be taking as like moments of character growth or development or rather as you say like we're getting the capstone uh but none of the build-up uh and yeah. already though the the fan base has been kind of trained to like read backward right and this is again the the, the problem with like kind of the retcon logic of homestuck or like you know what you say about uh, mom uh in the book commentary i've observed this a million times by this point whenever mom shows up uh in the book commentary hussy refers to her as roxy right so right she, she was always Roxy. right so she's st- like we are insisting that you know, in, in the course of history, she was this iconographic character that didn't have much to her. Um, but the the sort of like conceit of Homestuck or like one of the things that uh, uh, Hussey seems to be like really leaning into or pressing on uh, is saying like, no, all of the stuff like that retroactively, uh, like all of these retcons, like you got to put the weight on it, right? Like you mom has to be Roxy and you should think about mom as Roxy. Uh, despite how, like, des- despite the the actual circumstances and facts of how that character was originally introduced and treated, right? Um, and it's like, well, on the one hand, okay, like that's a thing that I can do as the reader, and on the other hand, what this does is it just it, it leaves me to rationalize a whole bunch of things that are incommensurate. Mm-hmm. And it's hey, you it, want me you, you you want me to tell you a thing about that? Sure. Everything all at one time. <laughs> it's all happening all at once, all at one time. It's the totality is only accessible as a big old orb, right? And all things are happening at once. Mm-hmm. Circumstantial simultaneity raises its head. Even though I didn't know about Roxy in the future, Roxy in the future was there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, class specs stuff. Uh, people are literally being reduced to their like game object nature. Hmm. Like, class specs raise their head. I'm thinking here about the conversation between Roxy and Jade, where Jade's trying to have her create the egg ball or whatever it is. Yeah, the matriorb. The, the matriorb? Uh-huh. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse to say it. <laughs> the uh, But, right, you're the rogue of Void, which means you can, like, steal things into existence. Uh-huh. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> 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 but, right, like, you know, you are your game capability, right? Like, you are your function in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, that shows up here, and it shows up in a few other places, like, why are some characters appearing in the same locations? Like, all the seers are together here. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just, like, coming on hot after it's been way in the background for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we need to get the plot moving. It's I can see where... You know, from this point beforehand, you know, class spec, whatever. From here, I can see why people would be so dead set on using it as a heuristic for the whole thing. Because you have now quite a few characters being like, here's why the things are happening. It's class spec stuff. Now, let me remind you yet again that this is another character who is a villain and or not to be trusted (laughs) telling you about class specs and how they work. Just Mm -hmm. want to point that out. That does seem to be very important. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but but right, it's like pure function here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's like if someone was named hero protagonist and we followed them around the whole time, you know. Well, there's a there's another character that we met uh, uh, a while ago, but uh, there's another character who loves to reduce things to their game functions. It's Caliborn. That's that's his entire relationship with the felt, right? Is like, what are their powers? How do right. I use them? Right. right. Well, and that's what I'm saying too, right? This is again going back to, uh, and I know that we have to reserve final knowledge about this for some later date, but this is kind of what I was talking about about Calliope too, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is why I'm not sure she's a positive valence because, uh, or she doesn't feel that way to me at this point, kind of phenomenally as I'm reading it, is like, right? Isn't she doing the same thing? Like, isn't yeah. her entire explanation of class specs the same thing as Caliborn asking about what's Crowbar's power? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever, right? And who knows, right? Right. It's, we'll get there, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, the point to be made, I think, here is that uh, I think the general readership tends to treat these things as fairly clearly bifurcated. And one of the right. things that was clear to me, even in the reading, and that, you know, you are concurring with me on, is and maybe this is you know the both of us being poisoned by uh, post-structuralism or whatever but like when you create a binary uh it turns out that those binaries can very easily collapse into uh one thing right like there's there's uh they aren't as in, uh easily sort of distinguishable um in practice as they might look at first that there are like uh resonances right. and echoes well, there's also this uh, whole entwined snakes that con- constitute reality thing. Uh-huh. This whole Aryan thing that also is making the same argument, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. the uh, that's the argument of the never-ending story. Again, if you want to hear uh, our analysis of the never-ending story, you can go to patreon.com slash rangetouch in order to listen to our bonus episode. We talk for, like, more than two hours about the never-ending story. But, that you know, the, the argument in that, right, is that... Uh, reality and fiction co-constitute one another, right? Mm-hmm. And Aryan being the, the the snakes or the serpents being the gateway is it's two things, right? That seem to be oppositional, uh, running into one another and co-constituting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you need both. You need the good and the bad, but you also need the real and the unreal. That's the whole last chapter or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Where Michael Indus steps out of the novel to tell you what like <laughs> fiction is, right? <laughs> um, and uh, so that seems to be kind of in the DNA here too, right? Mm-hmm. Ectobiologically being processed through Homestuck mm-hmm. is uh, Calliope and Caliborn. I mean, they literally are the two serpents, and they are you know two forms of engaging with the the object. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit more uh, just on, you know, Roxy's void powers, just to note this, because this, oh, this yeah. is more, this is more like weird platonic computation stuff, because the thing that she can yeah. create at first is the perfectly generic object that the game can create. Uh, right. Right. So the, the, and thinking of, you know, ste- the rogue of void steals like the non-existence of things in order for them to become real. This is uh, the kind of idealism argument that we got with Terezi and Dave back in Act 5, right? Like, belief in reality. Uh, and uh, also, like, the way that this comic talks about magic, right? Uh, magic is fake as shit unless I believe hard enough, in which case it actually also usually turns out to be fake as shit. But sometimes you can believe in magic hard enough, even if it's fake, that something real seems to happen. It's impossible. Uh so, you know, these these thematic things are are uh, coming together here, coming together, question mark, or like we're seeing we're seeing things get distilled. Uh, did you have more to say on the, the class back uh, issue? I don't. OK. Yeah. So, I mean, that's there. 
I mean, I the th- I guess the other big thing I want to talk about. I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, the I guess the other like really big thing to talk about is the implied reader of the comic killing themselves. Yeah, so that's a that's what a, the fuck. <laughs> uh, that's the that's a joke that goes all the way back to Problem Sleuth. Um, right. Yeah, not I know, Problem I know Sleuth, it's a but, reference, um, and I don't remember the the thing here. It actually goes back to Jailbreak. So, oh, okay. Um, when the when John sees himself, and then we cut out to the MSPA reader, like looking at John, looking at himself, and then imagining John making out with himself, and then getting like fed up, and then like a ima- like you know pulling out a gun and thinking like maybe if I shoot myself in the head, um, that. Uh, goes all the way back to Jailbreak, the first MS Paint adventure, where uh, eventually, like, because it was purely reader command driven and Hussey always took the first command that was given, it starts out with this guy, like, trying to get out of a jail cell, uh, and then all sorts of gross things happen, where he's, like, pooping out of windows and peeing on people and, like, killing people and cutting off arms and so on and so forth, right? Imagine, you know, it's it's 2007 or whatever, and you're asking an internet forum for commands. Uh, like, what do you think is going to mm-hmm. happen? Okay. And eventually it gets to a point where he's like uh, out in the woods and like uh, finds a stump of despair. Like he's he's also like disemboweled himself, I think, by this point. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, he like uh, finds a gun and then like he, he like pulls up, op- like pulls a stump out of the ground and there's a gun underneath and then uh, he shoots himself. Uh, because like it got to a point where just there was nothing to be done. And so the story self-destructs. So we get mm-hmm. that kind of callback here where the uh, this is a thing. I, I think this happens a little bit in jailbreak or not jailbreak, but problem sleuth as well. But here the the joke seems to be, you know, the reader gets overwhelmed and contemplates like, you know, self-destruction. Yeah, hard pass. Mm hmm. You know, yeah, I the reason I thought I knew well, assumed it was a reference. I think we've seen this the 6429 image before, maybe in Problem Sleuth. I don't remember, mm-hmm. but maybe he just looks like the little guy, you know. Was it 6425 or no. 29? Yeah, little, little blinky guy, yeah, just blinking at it. I've yeah. seen that before, uh, and having the car cat thought mm-hmm. next. <laughs> um, anyway, I thought that was pretty, pretty in. In this comic that cannot help, but again, like I've said, pick at the wound of like, what is the implied audience? Mm-hmm. When you have the implied audience show up and contemplate suicide, that seems interesting mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. The comic is so bad, it makes you want to die. Mm-hmm. Jake's getting tortured. That yeah. happens right after this. Mm-hmm. This is more of uh, what I said previously about what if we took the like woman character like the token girl character who's the sexual object and always in sexual sexual peril and made it a guy right yeah i didn't think about that but yeah that's 100 percent what's going on here the uh i the conversation between jake and roxy and their like flirty thing going on or whatever you mean john and roxy oh i'm sorry yeah that's said jake yeah um yeah between john and roxy uh that's some of the best stuff we i mean this reading was great because it's kind of bookended by caliborn which i really enjoyed and then this Mm -hmm. which is absolutely excellent uh and like getting to like she's just looking at him and listening to him talk and it's just blah 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 but it's like got keywords in it so nana sprite 
ectobiology, ocean of green fire, right? Mm-hmm. Liv Tyler, wind drill, uh-huh. the tumor, right? It's just like plot. He's explaining the plot. Uh-huh. But no one cares because it's all like teen feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Mental note, Mac on. Yeah. But then, but the thing that's really good is like um, 6457. He's blah blah blind, and then he stops talking and just and just looks at her. Yes. Um. And uh. And and in the previous image, we we've gotten. Oh no, she's bored. Say more interesting things, and he just starts saying things louder. Yes. <laughs> right. So so the keywords are in capital letters now. Duel with Jack Noir. Uh-huh. Defeat Lord English. They have explanation points behind them. Yeah. It's such a great like combination of words and images, and like switching POVs here. Like this is the magic when when Hussey's on. They're on. Like I, I'm so impressed with this little, like five panel little section. Yeah. Blah blah um, blah blah blah. Clowns on top of the White House. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> Vampire hissed at me. Blah 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 blah. Literally <laughs> inside of Con Air. <laughs> yeah, literally inside of Con Air is great because <laughs> he is in front of Con Air and sees John Malkovich. Yeah, and he like has tears in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a good shot. Um. Yeah. Uh. The. People love the the John Roxy thing in the thread. Like people are so happy about this. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. I that I don't think romance or like teen feelings or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's been better executed in the whole comic so mm-hmm. far. And it's made like further delicious for everyone because it's like this payoff of uh the like sweet bro and hella Jeff joke about getting distracted by your friend's hot mom. <laughs> <laughs> like the the the, like the ultimate joke of the comic is that dave's hot mom is going to get macked on by john oh that's good i forgot yeah totally i but you know even the animation like 6457 of him blind into like teeth out goof look Mm -hmm. you know that the the visual economy there is very good Mm mm-hmm uh and it even gets past the how terrible her outfit is. <laughs> um mm-hmm. I know that's all that's all good. Really, you know, like we, we've kind of talked through everything that happens. Like there's just there's a lot of uh setting the table, right? Like we have oh, this time skip yeah. and then we have to backfill yeah. like what happened. What were you going to say? Oh, just uh, another like good moment. Sixty four seventy two when he sees the ring is missing, mm-hmm. and he opens his mouth with "What the fuck" written in his mouth. That's like not a move we've seen happen before. <laughs> that is a good, yeah, like a a visual uh, 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 flair here, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty pretty cool. But yeah, you're right. I think we've talked about all contenty content, and at the end, lo and behold, it seems that Caliborn's curtains are coming down. Making us do some shit we didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, just to then touch on like historical developments outside the comic. Obviously, this mm-hmm. co- this starts two months after uh, the previous update. The mega pause mm-hmm. ends, um, and then there are still actually intermittent pauses throughout all of this reading because it's going up over the summer of 2013. So it's convention season. So Hussey actually has a follow up news post after everything comes back, and it's like, hey, you know the like, you know, the megapause might have been preemptively ended. There are still like other things to for me to do. So there might be like just, you know, a couple weeks, couple weekends, couple days without updates here and there as uh, they're traveling to conventions. Um, the update pace then is 
just very different, right? It is night and day comparing this to like the early part of the comic when all of the story rectangles were getting made so fast, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of happening. Um, and, you know, some some people when like Caliborn's little thing starts, they're like, this is what we wait- waited two months for. <laughs> but I think it's pretty good. We're, we're both on that same page, I think. Um, I think it's great. Yeah, if you're going to make this like, uh, if this is the thing, this is a great way to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so just some things that happen then uh, uh, in general. Uh, there is a sense, as I mentioned in the previous uh, part episode, this, this is a discussion that happens in, in the Something Awful thread. People are like, you know, the albums aren't coming out as fast as they used to. Um, which is true, like people have been waiting on a new album at this point for quite a while. Uh, and the fairly reasonable rejoinder that I think comes in here is that like, do you do you realize how many other albums there are? <laughs> like, right. uh, we're up to like eight or nine at this point. Uh, that's just mainline albums. That's not counting like the little character based concept albums. Uh, so, you know, the the thing about like i think that spurred a lot of music production was ideas about like oh i these characters uh are cool and new i'm going to make a song about them hanging out or like i'm going to make a song just about this character in this situation or i'm going to make a song about this scene and hope that it gets used for a flash and that sort of thing um so one thing that i think is just pretty obvious is that we're heading toward the end and so that kind of speculative uh move of like i'm going to make a song about a thing that may happen in the hopes that it gets used in a flash like i think obviously the the impulse for that lessens a little bit Mm -hmm. especially given that there's just this huge archive of music already at hand right where there's we only need so much homestuck music in order to to satisfy like the actual need of the the comic or the enterprise or whatever but then people also talk about uh, how it seems like the people on the art team are being a little less active. Uh, there seems to be less like conversation happening uh, and, you know, sort of bracketing all like uh, it's the Internet and anyone can think anything about whatever they observe. Uh, there, there's some there seems to be a reason here, right, that people have this feeling that um, there's. It's not just Hussey going quiet, right? We've talked about that, that Mm -hmm. Hussey is kind of retreating or going quiet. Everything else is also kind of quieting uh, and winding down. Like the heat is really seeping out of uh, the fandom at this moment. Um, Sort of heap seeping fandom. Yep. Uh, So this just means like there's honestly not a lot of discussion being had, right? The the biggest, like most sustained discussion that happens in the Something Awful thread during this reading is whether or not Jake has brain damage or might be autistic. That's interesting. Yeah. I I didn't think about either of those things, but okay. Well, and the thing that people point to for, uh, you know, regarding brain damage is that there's a recurring joke that Jake gets hit in the head. Uh-huh. Like things are just constantly hitting him in the head. So people are like, hey, mm. Jake seems pretty oblivious to things. Do you and this? I think this is very hinky, right? Like the, the logic here, I don't think I mm-hmm. is, uh, is is great. Um, it's like maybe one of the reasons Jake is uh, so oblivious to other people and doesn't seem to know what's going on uh, is because that. And so, well, the, I mean, we all know that the reason that uh, Wiley Coyote keeps running into that big fake tunnel is because he's hit on the head so often. <laughs> right, exactly. And he forgets that it's a big fake tunnel. Huh. It has nothing to do with narrative conceit or genre. Right. <laughs> it has everything to do with the materially real 
and uh, independently existing Wiley e. Coyote mm-hmm. and his uh, long history of uh, cranial accidents. Uh, the other thing that the thread loves to do is uh, in in like these conversations where a whole bunch of stuff is glitched out, people are trying to reverse engineer the glitches, right? Pulling apart the images in Photoshop and seeing if there's like text hidden underneath the, the glitch. And there isn't hmm. for the most part. And like even when there is text, it's not illuminating or interesting, right? It's something you can partially see that was there for an obvious joke like... Uh, you know, when uh, Arqueous Sprite really goes to town about <laughs> various muscles and things. Mm-hmm. Um, right. uh, there's also a bit of discussion about, well, I think because people know that we're heading toward the end, uh, people are starting to wonder, like, what a normal session of Spurb looks like. Once again, the perennial topic of conversation since we found out that the original kids game wasn't working correctly. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've seen like various iterations of this, right? We had the um, uh, the null session with the original kids. Uh, we had the close to regular session with the trolls that ended up getting wiped out because of scratch stuff with uh, Jack Moore. Uh, the Dancesters also had a null session. Uh, the Alpha Kids get a void session. Uh, Caliborn has the dead session that becomes like the big cosmic pool ball game. Oh, I forgot to mention that's another. Uh, one of the few times Hussey will be very explicit about uh, where they're drawing references from. That's from an episode of Red Dwarf, if you have ever watched that show. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, Hussey is actually a, this is not, this is the second Red Dwarf uh, reference we've gotten. Uh, the first one was when uh, Jake was talking to the autoresponder and the autoresponder was like, everyone's everyone's dead, Jake. They're dead. They're all dead. That's a, from the first episode of Red Dwarf when a character is wakes up out of cryo sleep on a ship where all the other crew have died and he talks to the ship's AI and the ship is just like, they're dead, Dave. Everyone's dead. Right. Um, so Red Dwarf references there. Uh, I wanted to say a little bit more about like the game session stuff, I think because people were interested because on the fan adventure that I ran on our Twitter account, twitter.com slash range touch, uh, Vault Jaunt, uh, starring the little gecko art deco, uh, I had a fake conversation that I made between you and me where uh, in story, Michael said something about how I don't think that there's a such there's such a thing as a normal session. Mm-hmm. And like people locked onto that in the little story and wanted me to say more about it. And what I meant when I made that thing was uh, when you look at the text of Homestuck, there is no normal session. There is there is no indication that such a thing ever exists. Right. Right. You can obviously maybe imagine it because like the closest thing we get to a normal session is actually the trolls game. You just don't have the part where Jack Moore pops out at the end and like, you know, cuts open the the spurb door or whatever. Um, That seems to be the normal session of the game. Uh, But, you know, textually, even though the, the comic constantly talks about how the game is being played like multiple times or has been played thousands of times uh you know doc scratch talks about this too right he says that countless instances of himself has spawned in countless universes uh you know thanks to the game um but textually apart from that like assertion a normal game doesn't exist uh and that's just what i meant there it's not that like you can't imagine that there would be a normal game uh or that this is like the secret to understanding homestuck that <laughs> there is no normal game session although i will say uh i'm saying that i'm saying yeah. both of those things okay you both can't imagine it and it doesn't happen <laughs> uh the piece of advice that i would give is uh 
just read it as like a young adult novel. Like, what does it mean to be thrust into a world where uh, you are told that, uh, and when I say the you here, right, I mean, like, young adult novel is like a way for a young person to deal with, like, growing up and realizing what it means to live in the world. You grow up, you get told by various people around you that the world works in certain ways, and you internalize some of those ideas, and maybe you try to enact them in the world, but as you grow older, you inevitably come to understand that the game that you thought you were supposed to play is not the game that you were actually playing, and you've got to reassess right. what your life is. And, like, I, that's maybe cliche, but, like, I think that's a thing that happens. Like, you have to reevaluate your life at some point and the guiding logics of the thing that you're doing. Yeah, uh, if you if you grow up in the Mortal Engines universe, you hear about the time before, in the time before when cities did not move, <laughs> and wizards roam the land. You know what I mean? Like, uh, no one sees that shit, right? Or if you do, it's in like a weird fly. You're reading somebody's diary, mm -hmm. you know? You're reading the ancient wizard's diary. <laughs> They're telling you about the good times before. But yeah, we're, I mean, we're, essentially we're getting like uh, simulacra on simulacra in Homestuck, right? right? There is no, I mean, look, it's... um. I'm going to say it, Gnostic nonsense, right? <laughs> but uh, the the good world, right? The perfect, the good, the utopia, the numinous, whatever, word, you know, uh, secular or non-secular uh, word you want to use for it, uh, uh, the Godhead mm -hmm. is, uh, is off beyond the veil, right? Mm -hmm. In some sort of inaccessible place. And we have a procession of simulacra of uh, insufficient realities. Mm -hmm. um, and you might be able to think the thing and maybe even... Uh, depending on your version of the thing, you might access it, but certainly you cannot see it, mm -hmm. um, and it can never be revealed to thee. The, the real world, not to get all Michael Endo, right, but the real world is just a replication of fiction, right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason that they can feed back into one another, mm -hmm. uh, is that you can't access the numinous. You can just access the simulacra that informs material reality. Boo! That's a uh, hashtag Twitter chillers. <laughs> go back. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag twitter chillers uh, i know it's been a while <laughs> so uh then we have kind of one sort of big development that's actually a little bit of a small development and then one really huge development i'll t i'll do them in that order okay the other thing that happens during this reading is we get the next andrew hussey project um do you remember cameron at any point shifty look no i don't uh, Shifty Look, so in, in the early 2010s... Uh, I know the name, and I don't know why. Right, so in the early 2010s, when uh, corporations started realizing, like, hey, there's something happening on the internet and with fandom, um, you, got, you saw a lot of, like, legacy media companies uh, start creating, like, little uh, subdivisions or, like, verticals or something that existed specifically to tap into kind of uh, online communities, fandom sentiment and stuff. Shifty Look was Bandai Namco's version of this. This is the wildest thing I've ever seen. I'm looking at the list of things that they produced. Uh-huh. You want to read some? Weren't you, you're telling me you weren't itching for a webcomic adaptation of Dig Dug? <laughs> <laughs> or Galaga, written by Ryan North? Uh-huh. That's wild. Yeah, Christopher Hastings of Dr. McNinja and Anthony Clark of uh, Bear Tato slash, uh, was it Ninderoid or, or however that word goes? Uh-huh. Yep. Uh we got we got a couple things by Jimmy Palmiotti here. Mm -hmm. Um a kind of a famous comics person. Jim Zub, who's still working in comics pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. He's got a couple projects here working on Wonder Momo and uh the Clonoa comic book uh -huh. or comic. That's weird. So 
uh, yeah, like that was Shifty Look. It, it uh, existed basically to uh, revive interest in old uh, Bandai Namco properties by way of using a lot of uh, popular web creators and in particular web comics artists to produce new content. Mm-hmm. And Hussey gets enlisted to uh, direct a dating sim called Namco High, where you play the cousin, I think, of um, the prince from uh, Katamari Damacy. Uh, and you go to a high school that is populated entirely by uh, old Bandai Namco characters, including the ship from Galaga. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at that. Yeah, it's just it's just literally the ship from Galaga. Yeah, and you can like forge relationships with these things and, and, and date them. Um you can date anti Bravo man. <laughs> Terezi's in so it. So this is this is the this is where they pull in like the Homestuck fandom, right? Uh, and Jane's in it too. Yeah, Terezi, Jane, and Dave Sprite are all people oh, that are also there. Right. So they're they're romance options. Can Dave? Oh, but Dave Sprite can't date the ship from Galaga. Is what you're telling? No, me. you have to date Dave Sprite or the ship from Galaga. Oh, unfortunate, <laughs> right? Yeah, no. They you should be able. You should be able to ship them in the game. It should have been like a Fallout Shelter, <laughs> where it's just like right, exactly. <laughs> uh, make Honestly, like- that that should have been. I mean, I know the timeline doesn't work out, but that should have been the Homestuck game. <laughs> just Fallout Shelter with like 15 billion trolls that you can custom. Just do Dwarf Fortress. Here, it's this is free. Yeah. Dwarf Fortress, but the trolls. You're welcome. <laughs> what pumpkin? At us. Uh, uh, maybe don't. No, don't. <laughs> maybe don't at me. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll cut that out. No. <laughs> um, but yes. So, uh, like Hussey, this doesn't come out immediately. Uh, like it's announced mm-hmm. over this summer at San Diego Comic Con, where Hussey is, of course, making an appearance. Um, it is actually. Did I save this? I think I did. Uh, it was just wild to look at the shifty look banner from then and see. Oh, maybe I didn't. Like what's on there? Mm-hmm. I mean, like Twitch is on there. Like we're at a time when Twitch is not owned by Amazon. Oh right. Yeah. That was just like a wild to think like, oh, that still hasn't happened. Twitch is still kind of like its own independent thing. And up until, you know, in the uh, the animation bonus episode, actually, we talked about this. Livestream.com was the thing, right? Twitch yeah. was the upstart. Yeah. Uh, this is something pretty wild. So uh, uh, Andrew Hussey, creative director. Uh-huh. Um, Alexandra Douglas, Lexi. Uh-huh. Drawing the Terezi, which is funny. But the uh, the other thing, Brian Clevenger was a writer on the project. Oh, yeah, the 8-Bit Theater. Yeah, that's that's pretty... No- I don't really recognize any of the other people, but, but that's pretty notable, I think. Mm-hmm. You don't really hear that name so much anymore. No, you don't. Um, I wonder what he's up to. But I know he was, writing, anyways, he was writing Atomic Robo for a while. and Right. What, what did people... Yeah, I think he wrote a Spider-Man comic. Yeah. It was pretty good. But uh, why... Uh, how did people take this? In the, in the sense of like, uh, Andrew Hussey mm-hmm. working on Homestuck, also working on a video game, also working on another video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the fandom? Are they just not caring, not reacting? Yeah, they. Uh, it's not that they don't care. They're they're excited, right? They're not suspicious of this. Uh, I think the the way that you I don't know where you were leaning. The way you formulated that question suggested like this seems like a lot of work to be taking on. It, it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm curious if people are 
where they, the regular show is also on this banner, by the way. Yes. <laughs> you, you really undersold yeah. uh, the, the superstar and Adventure Time's on there. Mm-hmm. But regular show, that's where it's at. Yeah. But yeah, it just sounds like a lot to take on. And uh, if, if we're perhaps about to uh, gear up for, I don't know, some sort of year-long break, that might explain something. Mm-hmm. So people, the uh, someone in the thread is like, hey, uh, I, I, like before, how this comes out is there is like hints from uh either hussy or bandai namco shifty look i can't remember exactly who hints but like something's going to be revealed at comic-con and so people are sort of talking about it and it's like oh maybe uh you know shifty look has gotten hussy to make a new webcomic and some there are people who are like i don't know can you imagine hussy doing a second comic alongside homestuck in the game um and uh that like once once it's revealed that it's going to be this dating sim, uh, there isn't that much doubt, right? It's sort of before it, it's like you get a little bit of hint of like, hmm, it does seem kind of like that is something to take on. But afterward, people are like, oh, damn, like Andrew Hussey doing a visual novel. And of course, this is uh, where we're heading right into the prime time of the ironic visual novel uh, trend that continues to this day where you make a visual novel, but you're like, but it's goofy and silly, and it's not like other visual novels uh, that's filled with just anime girls. Mm-hmm. Which is you, you, not not good, right? Like, visual novels have got a lot going on and uh, uh, tend to be talked about in very stereotypical ways. Anyhow. Yeah, and also, like, we flattened, you know, this is an error that I've made many times, right? But, like, uh, dating sim and visual novel venn diagram but not really the same thing right a visual novel uh like a dating sim can be a visual novel but not every visual novel is going to be a dating sim right Mm -hmm. Right, i mean hell people call my games visual novels uh is that true yeah people uh uh, the tv tropes page for the uncle who works for nintendo last i checked uh described it as a visual novel your uh your adventure game yeah (laughs) like essentially your your one-shot narrative game yeah um (laughs) fascinating to me uh but well that's actually this this is a nice little i guess i make visual novels too then yeah i I guess i've made several i didn't know that (laughs) this is a good bridge to the next part though um so anyway like people are sort of interested in seeing what comes out of namco high um namco high eventually does come out uh it's dead now it's gone uh shifty look is also gone website's dead uh in 2014 uh bandai namco pulled the plug and all shifty look work uh disappeared into the ether welcome to digital media Jeez, no one backed it up i'm, I'm sure people have backed it up but like you know officially mm-hmm. it doesn't exist anymore um, Unfortunate. Was it like playable online or was it a downloadable uh, i think it was just playable online uh it may be it may be included in the reader let me double check here. Huh. That seems like a huge breach in copyright. Guess what? It's included in the reader. Okay. That seems like a massive, unbelievable breach in copyright. Well. <laughs> but to, to have the Galaga ship in your game packaged in an unofficial reader? Let's just uh, pretend that we whispered all that and no one heard it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. But it's there in the Homestuck reader if you want to check it out. Cool. So the uh, other kind of important thing that happens here is uh, the the indie games moment has arrived, right? The early 2010s indie games moment um, related to this to just touch on something that I've been meaning to bring up for two partisodes now <laughs> and have missed. Uh, back during 9-2, when we hit uh, January of 2013, 
uh, this is this is where Homestuck really starts making this world because that is the point at which I would have become aware of you, Cameron, for the first time. Be- mm. Because you made in January 2013 a game called Oh No that is about being chased by the giant floating head of Michel Foucault. It's true. Mm-hmm. People on the internet went wild for it. You posted it in like the grad school thread on Something Awful. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I didn't really think about I didn't take much notice of you specifically. It wasn't until somehow months later I happened on a blog post of yours. Um, and uh, your blog post name really or your blog name really stuck in my head because it's this cage's worms. And I'm like, damn, that's good. Yep. It is good. Um, and I remembered the it came to me in a dream. Really? Nah, I made that up, but that's a good story. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> uh, and your the game had been hosted on, I think, that website or something. So then it, at some point later, I went to one of your blog posts. I think it got linked on Twitter. And I was like, oh, this is weird. Why was this site already in my history? And I realized, oh, this is the guy who made that Foucault game. And I think that's when I started reading your work and probably about the time I followed you on Twitter. Um, I have no idea when you became specifically aware of me. But uh, after I can probably tell you, yeah, this this is why, because you and I, let's see this. We can probably I can probably figure it out. Mm -hmm. Let's see. All right. So you and I exchanged an email on 411.14 about making a twine game together. Oh, that's right. Called this called this old bullshit castle. Mm hmm. That was going to be a twine game. I'm just going to leak the... I, it, we could still make this. Uh-huh. But it was going to be a twine game that was basically just reading through a module, like an old D&D, like an OD&D module. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was such a good like, idea. Uh, it's basically Lord English's castle, now I'm thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, but, but w- w- it is a good idea. We should do it again. But so it's like, and it, weirdly enough, tying in a little bit to something we're about to talk about, uh, horse mastering. Mm-hmm. Or horse master, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah. So we uh, so we at least were like talking regularly by four eleven fourteen. Mm-hmm. So uh, in somewhere in that year, in May of twenty thirteen, I release my first Twine game, uh, Tower of the Blood Lord. Uh, and I played that, so I had to be aware of you. Then. Okay, so that's yeah, May of twenty thirteen. Um, and that ha- happens because like Twine is really taking off. I'm of course inspired by like all the people who are working in Twine at that point. Um, just the one specific one I have to shout out is uh, uh, Mastaba Snoopy by Goddess Seventeen. Like that is a content warning for like really incredibly wild body horror on that thing. Uh, but like the. Mustafa Snoopy is like a pivot point in my creative life, right? I had played some Twine games before it, um, but I hit that one, and that was the one where I was like, I need to make one of these. Like, I need to mm. do something with this. And so I made uh, Tower of the Blood Lord um, in May of 2013, uh, which got some pretty good response. I got featured on Rock, Paper, Shotgun, which was like beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, it's a in-Twine demake of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Um Right. Until it, it is not. Uh, uh, the other thing then to note about my my Twine games in general is um, Homestuck is all over them, right? Like, I would not be yeah. thinking through uh, the things that I'm thinking through in the way that I am when I'm making these games if I was not also happening to have been reading Homestuck at this point. Uh, 
So that happens in May. By the summer in the thread, uh, people talk about uh, so Papers, Please comes out. That's a big, oh, wow, yeah. Uh, yeah, important indie game. And in fact, uh, someone posts a screenshot from it where they got a, a Papers, Please, if you're not familiar, is a game where it's a graphical game, not a twine game, where you are a, a border guard uh, working like a, a checkpoint. And it's in a kind of timeless, like a uh, retro future Eastern Bloc uh, kind of scenario. Um, and you basically uh, have to, like, it puts you in the position of looking at a person's paperwork, then looking at them and, like, finding discrepancies and coming up with reasons to, like, keep them from passing the border, right? Um, uh, thematically serious in a way that indie games are getting at this point. Someone posts a screenshot in the game where they got a, a person coming to their booth that their name was Terezi Pyrope. So. Right. Uh, then the other game that people talk about because of like horse jokes and Homestuck is Tom McHenry's game, uh, Horse Master, the game of horse mastery, which I highly recommend you check out if you are unfamiliar with it. Tom is uh, uh, also a comics artist and does some really great work. Um, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I played it while you were doing the summary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, it's still good. It's, I had to I had to mute my mic a little bit. I was having to chuckle. It's so good. You should check out Horse Master, the game of Horse Mastery. Uh, uh, people in the thread are talking about that. So then the other thing that happens is that on uh, June 25th, 2013, or maybe a day before that or a couple days before that, but this is when they start talking about it in the thread, a certain Kickstarter launches for a little game called Undertale. Wow. Mm-hmm. Jeez. I didn't realize, I mean, I guess I knew that, but I just haven't thought in a long time that Undertale was a Kickstarter game. Yep. Um, and people, like, the the thing that really sold Undertale for a lot of people uh, at this point was that there was a demo, and famously Undertale has uh, Homestuckian meta moves in it, right? It's a game that... Uh, the game state uh, remembers things even when you are maybe thinking that the game would not remember those things, you know? Uh, it will change depending on certain things that you've done. And the demo did this, right? There were, like, people... So the, the thread uh, on Something Awful, the Homestuck thread, for, like, two or three pages just becomes people talking about the Undertale demo. Just huge spoiler blocks as people are figuring out all the different ways you can make that demo end and sort of like all the Easter eggs and so on and so forth, which is uh, uh, setting the stage for what Undertale is like. This is the Undertale. The game is also just built on that stuff. Um very, very funny. Uh, people are like, man, this is really taking up the conversation. Maybe we should make a, a, a dedicated thread for Undertale. And the mod comes in and says, we don't need another Homestuck thread. Keep all the Undertale discussion here. Very good. Uh, so, yeah, the within very shortly, that game uh, is is backed. Um, in fact, uh, I believe, uh, let me double check this. I think Toby put um as one of the reward tiers for the kickstarter uh that you could also get your fan troll uh be made canon yes pledge uh one thousand dollars or more your fan troll will become canon in undertale um <laughs> and someone did this so <laughs> yeah of course uh discussion for a different time uh but yeah so that that summer 2013 undertale is kickstarted um it's mm. released in 2014 
Uh, and notably, you know, the I mean, even already in, in the thread, people are like, oh, man, it's going to be the Undertale versus Homestuck game. Uh, like, you know, there, there these, these things, these properties are going to be dueling or whatever, or like, uh, uh, this is going to be like a fracture point, right? Are you going to be, uh, ad- coming out of this, are you going to be a Homestuck person or an Undertale person? Uh, one of those weird little prescient moments where, yeah, like, I think there are people who, like, continue on from this into Undertale broadly. And then, of course, there's a huge amount of people who play Undertale who are still, like, people are still learning that Undertale came out of, like, the Homestuck fandom, <laughs> Like, yeah. Uh, and oh, I guess it bears mentioning, right, that Hussey like links to the Kickstarter and boosts, uh, uh, you know, Toby's profile and, and all that stuff. Right. Uh, Hussey helps out. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And and there we go. Right. The the future hits you like a sack of bricks. Powerful. Yeah, I'm, I'm scrolling down memory lane here as your like free indie games. If you remember that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That website that uh, TCAV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> used to used to do uh, uh you know gone now i mean it's still up thankfully but you can go play a lot of like really influential games from this era over there i was looking at i was i actually got there by looking at uh when rat chaos came out uh, oh. which was like like for me that's like the game i was like oh shit this is what twine's about like this is what is this and that was 2012 actually which blows my mind wow yeah rat Ten chaos years. was t- yeah, you can still play it, by the way. It's still up. It was down, I think, for a while or something, inaccessible, mm-hmm. but now it's back up. Mm-hmm. I would also highly recommend Rat Chaos. Like, Rat Chaos and Mastaba Snoopy were... Uh, Mastaba Snoopy is is the one for me, but Rat Chaos is like... There's a there's a there's there's an extended Rat Chaos, like, uh, shout-out in Tower of the Blood Lord, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not sure why it's on uh, his site. It's on. It's hosted on Robert Yang's website. I don't know why. Huh. That's interesting. But, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Robert is also hosting uh, Mustafa Snoopy, if I'm not mistaken. I think he kind of did some oh. archival work there. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes you got to unleash rat chaos. Well, uh, I think that's the end of the episode, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, it was things are changing, like. Uh, mm-hmm had some story discussion history is also happening uh it'll be interesting to see kind of how this works going forward because it's the middle of 2013 we've got three years left before the comic ends uh and that means we're going to be doing some big leaps and bounds uh in time as as the reading goes forward uh anything you want to say before we before i reveal the next number nope okay well this time I had you read to 6474, right? That was what you read to for today. Next time, just to be clear, you are going to read to 6747. Hmm, isn't it cool how that worked out? I wonder if it means anything. Spoilers, it doesn't. Powerful. Powerful.